Hey there, Danny with Right Foot Down. I messed up this ad read so many times because I really wanted to tell you about Track Monkey Apparel. They make great quality, enthusiast shirts along with hats, stickers, watches, patches, you name it. A couple of my personal favorites are their Life is Better at the Track Tee and their One Track Mind Tee. You should really check them out and see for yourself. Their products are great for you or the gearhead in your life. Visit trackmonkeyapparel.com. You're listening to the Untitled Car Show in partnership with RightFootDown.com. Visit RightFootDown for your daily automotive fix. If you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend. It's the best way to support this show. If you want to visit the archives, go to YouTube and search for Untitled Car Show. That'll bring you to the archived episodes. If you want to follow this show, just search for Untitled Car Show on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can always send an email to the show at untitledcarshow at rightfootdown.com. We're so glad you decided to spend the next hour or so with us. Without further ado, let's get into today's program. I was recording that just now instead of just hitting the record button after you said that. Because uh, that's what we do around here is we shoot from the hip. So welcome to the Untitled Car Show. Um, it's uh, the full cast and crew today. So you have my wonderful host or co-host or West Coast correspondent, Ryan West, and myself, uh, Yo. Ike. How's it going, Ryan? It's pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, I am doing well. So um, what have you been up to since last we spoke? Fun, exciting? Uh, well... Yeah. And I'm now, I think also, I didn't tell you about this, but just for a little bit of added variety, at some point during the podcast, I'm going to touch on my previous job, which I think I had referenced, but didn't go into very much detail about. So I'm going to actually talk about my previous job and kind of put some things out there that maybe people didn't realize, or maybe I thought people didn't realize about my previous job, uh, because I lost my job uh, since we last spoke, and I just finished my training for a new job which I will reveal when I stop doing it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, Ike will get to know what my job is, but nobody else really will know. Mm-hmm. There, that's that's so, the... It is industry-related. Yep. I'll mm-hmm. leave it there. Mm-hmm. It, uh, the fun part of doing this is not the main thing that pays your salary, is that you get to keep secrets. That's uh, Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not beholden to anybody's... Uh, NDAs, though, so I, I could talk about it if I wanted. I just, I'm opting not to. Exactly. So, um, so. yeah, a bit about that. Well, I guess maybe, because you're talking on this, and they just drew these numbers, so I don't know if anyone won or not. But um, right. we were talking a bit about the lottery for the yes. uh, the Powerball, which is currently sitting at, like, the second highest ever in history. And... See, it is the second highest. Keep going. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the highest was like 1.5 billion, which is just crazy to me. Um, and we were talking about about how much that would end up being, like after you pay taxes and take the cash payout and all that crazy BS. And we figured, well, you figured out what is it around? If you just pay the federal mandated like tax, it's like you go somehow from like 700 million to 220 million. Uh, something like that. So if we're talking about, and of course I pulled open to look at the Powerball to see what the current value was, because usually they post an updated value when they draw. 
Yeah. Uh, they don't have that information up, but I read the numbers real quickly and noticed that I matched at least the power number and the uh, and one of the regular numbers. So this might be about to be the most exciting podcast in the history of time. Mm. Yeah. No, no, it is not. Okay, <laughs> all right, that's <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> anyway, that, that would have been a great uh, I did episode. Get a free ticket though, so that's good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In which case, this would not have been published until a month later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been like, uh, where's your um, episode? Anyway, yeah, anyway, that, yeah. that would have been great content. We would have got some listens on that, man. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. would have put us on the map right there. Yeah. Why didn't you win? That would have been so good for us. Hey, Ryan. Uh, you have one job. Bring in the listeners. Bring in the millennials or right. whatever the hell. Yeah. That's all I needed to do. All yeah. I needed to do was win the lottery on live stroke recorded stroke live podcast, and I I could have done it, but but no, I I just want a free ticket. So uh, <laughs> the first two numbers, I bought two tickets. The first two numbers from the regular draw, I had matched, and then my other ticket, I matched the Powerball at the mm. end. So I I knew I was really close on a couple of them, and it was worth looking. And I was like, ah, but no. Anyway, so when I last looked, like an hour ago, the estimated jackpot was $700 million, Mm -hmm. um, which they give that to you, if you don't know much about the lottery, they give that to you in annuity payments. So they don't actually have $700 million to give you. They only have a set amount, which I'm going to reveal in a second. And then what they do is they invest it in really safe government bonds, and then they dole it out to you over the course of 30 years. So if you were willing to wait 30 years for your money, you would eventually get $700 million. Uh, everything I have read, also, at this point, I'm going to give the advisement that I am not a trained financial manager. Uh, let's see. Yeah, if you're I'm getting... a PR major, and before that I was a yeah. uh, economics major where I did not cover any finance, anything. I just covered micro and macroeconomics and stuff like that. So I am not actually giving... Uh, financial advice. I'm simply stating what I would do if I won the lottery. Is that is that fair? I think I've covered my legal ass on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're taking advice from uh, financial advice, if you won the Powerball from a podcast uh, of this caliber, I think you uh, you're a crazy person and no. I mean, yeah. <laughs> On that note, would you take Matt Farah's word for how to spend your lottery money? Would you take Adam Carolla's word on how to invest your lottery money? I certainly wouldn't, even if it was a good podcast. Yeah. Would you take NPR? Maybe. Mm-hmm. What do they well, do, that one car talk? Why don't yeah. we have them on? Are well, they boring? I, I don't listen to it because it's NPR. But don't NPR have a car podcast? Get them on. They had click and, click and Clack to Tapper Brothers, but I think one of them died. But I'm not 100%. Oh, okay. I see. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyway, $700 million. Or so, uh, yeah, $700 million. It is the second highest in history. Um, I've been. I've read lots of articles about it in the last several months because turns out while you're unemployed for a month and a half, you start to think about things like the lottery, suddenly having a windfall, how nice it would be to have infinite money, you know, yeah. things of that nature. And mm-hmm. what I realized really quickly is – as dumb as it sounds, winning a $700 million lottery ticket does not make you that rich. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is you feel like if you win the lottery, you're like going to be able to like buy a private island, have like a fleet of jets, 
bunch of mansion and like it's actually not that much money. Yeah. By yeah. the time you get taxes and you take the cash payment up front, you couldn't even pay cash for a Boeing 747. Which eh, is what you want to do. You could almost, I bet you could pay for a Boeing 747. You could just buy one straight up. You would have no money to train anybody or to fuel it or to pay people to fly it. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that. Anyway, $700 million. They don't let out to you in 30 annuities. Well, they give you one uh, up front, and up front isn't really up front. I'll talk about that in a second. They give you one up front, and then they give you 29 annual payments. Um, and they go up by 5% each year. Because what they were realizing with smaller jackpots, like say a million dollars or maybe two or three million dollar jackpots, they were realizing that people would say, fine, I don't want to do any of the financial management, which you should definitely do. Um, and I just want to take the annuity for 30 years and I'll have enough money for 30 years and hopefully by then I'll be dead. And then I'll designate the remaining payments to my children. What people were finding is they were stretching themselves so thin doing that. It's like, oh, I'm going to make 80 grand a year. And they would buy or a hundred grand a year whatever it was and they would buy a big fancy house that they could you know they worked out the payments on it they got a 10-year mortgage and they got cars and stuff and they worked it out and then realized that by the end of your 15 to 20 to 30 years the cost of living has gone up so much that those people were screwed yeah because they weren't planning ahead enough for um inflation <clears throat> so their property taxes kept going up, the cost of living kept going up, the cost of insurance kept going up, the cost of food and fuel, and for some people that really caught them out. So now, when they dole out the annuity payments, they make sure that they go up by 5% every year to match inflation. Oh, wow. Which means you get less money up front than you used to. Hmm. And that's what that boils down to. But then I, I don't know if that plays into how how they can invest the money more safely. I would imagine, yes, it does, but I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so in the state of California, seven hundred million dollar jackpot. If you want to take the cash straight up, and you don't want them to invest it, which I wouldn't want them to invest it because it's only like a two or three percent rate of return over thirty years, or annually over thirty. However, it works out. Again, the CPA or a financial advisor would be a much better person to talk to about this. But from what I gathered you'd be better off just buying CDs from the U.S. government, like 10- and 15-year bonds from the government. You'd get a higher rate of return with your $447 million. So there's that. Yeah. Um, when they invest the money, they're investing it pre-tax, which means the money you would get back from it, you would have to take taxes out of. So in actuality, you win $750 million and... Again, I'm not a financial advisor, not an accountant, I'm not any of those things, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I live in California, where one of the few good laws they have is that you cannot be taxed for a lottery win. So, in California, you'd have to pay the maximum federal tax rate, which is like 46% or so. Yeah. And then I always like to round that up to roughly 50. That way I can account for paying a financial manager up front, paying a lawyer, etc., I would imagine that they'll take around 4% of that. I'm okay with that. So I round up to 50. Your $447 million, I use a lot of rounding, and it's always in favor of you end up with less than it would if I had done the math correctly. Yeah. You end up with $220 million. So your $700 million Powerball prize, the moment you receive it, 
is actually only $220 million, which is still a lot of money. But again, that's not buy a private island money. That's not I can hang out with Bill Gates money. That's still in the realm of, like, rich people. Like, in terms of, like, Forbes list and stuff, you're not that rich. You'd be about as rich as, like, a really successful baseball player, a semi-successful basketball player, a semi-to-decent football player. You'd be about as rich as that. You'd be about as rich as a super music star. You have Ferrari money. You don't have Bugatti money. No, you you have Bugatti money. You would just have to be really careful about when you bought it. You would have to make sure that you planned ahead for that purchase. Bugatti and stuff like that, you get into like, oh, well, it's actually an investment, you see, because they're going to be rare, and then when I sell it again in 15 years, it's going to be worth double. So, you may have Bugatti money. I don't know. That's that's your own money to play with. I certainly wouldn't play the... As tempting as it would be, I wouldn't play the collector car market. There's way too many people who have been doing that for 50 years that I am going to play. Like, they had all those shows on Velocity, on the Velocity channel for a long time, where it's all these, like, 55-year-old men going to the Hemmings auction and paying $15 million for a Ferrari. What do you do? I do, which is nutty. And also, my fear is the moment all those old dudes die, that market's just going to collapse. Right. Yeah. As soon as people realize nobody wants a Bugatti Atlantic, mm-hmm. as soon as all the people who right now are like 45 and older are dead, mm-hmm. none of those will be worth anything, and we'll be able to get Ferrari like 250 GTOs for nothing. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, be good. It's going to be crazy to see what happens because I, a quick aside on the lottery talk, but like you know, comic books crash because everyone started collecting comic books instead of throwing them out. And that's why mm-hmm. their value skyrocketed and then plunged off a cliff. I think right. I, I could see a very similar thing in cars because everyone knows expensive cars are worth money, so everyone's right. hoarding them, and now no one's throwing them away. I mean, the reason Shelby Cobras were worth so much is because people were throwing them out or trashing them or chopping them up to film movies. Like, right? Yeah, it, it, I think that's very fair. And then you think about what what percentage of people, and again, I'm sure it's a small percentage, but it's more than it used to be. I bet. In addition, you know, building 5,000 special edition cars when you were only building fifty to 100,000 cars doesn't make it that special. Yeah. Now, you may sell 500,000 cars and you make 10,000 of the special edition. I feel like there's fewer, if you look at proportions of cars sold, mm. there's fewer truly rare, I guess, options yeah. available now. and. Like, how many people do you think have a first-year 2005 Mustang when they switch back to the old style? How many people do you think have one of those just locked up in a garage because, oh, it'll be on Barrett-Jackson someday and I'll get my money back? You know there's a crazy people. There's probably people buying Hellcats, putting them in sealed garages, doing stuff. And But the thing is, because it's such a big deal now, I feel like everybody's – not everybody, but more people are doing that than may have used to. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. I think there will be a plunge in the market a little later on. I still think in the 90s people weren't fully aware that that was going to become a surging thing. But I would predict that around like the 2002 model year, 2003, the idea of a car auction with cars that were low miles probably became household enough that I do believe that people are going to start holding. Yeah. It, which is... 
I'm not sure if you got cut off there or what happened, but it, it's it's nutty to me to think that we have like all these cars kind of just put away and never used and never driven. So that way they're not out in the ether. So people don't really have this affinity for these cars because they don't see them driving around and looking right. badass. So it's, if you, the reason, uh, you know, land yachts or, you know, whatever are coming popular now is because the people who have money saw those things driving around when they were kids and there's not enough left. And that's why they're starting to pick up in value. It's like, you have to see these cars for people to want to buy these cars to relive exactly. something. So, uh, and great. I think that those hyper rare, you know, multiple million dollar rare Ferraris, etc. I don't think that end of the market is going to be as volatile because there's still going to be the same number of rich people who buy rich people cars. Mm -hmm. And they're still going to be willing to pay that much because I'm not to get all, you know, political on it. I'm willing to say that by and large, if you're born into that group of society, your children probably continue to be in that group of society, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so that that whole top end of the market, I'm guessing, will sustain itself. And the market for the LaFerrari, for example, that will always be worth bazillions of dollars. The, the value of that is not going to drop off. Now, the value of, say, like, I don't know, I think it's stuff like the Corvette, the Special Edition Mustangs, Camaros, Challengers, even like M3s, M5s, stuff in kind of the floating around 150 grand and lower. Yeah. I think that's the part of the market that's going to end up being. But anything that's more than that, they're still going to be rare enough that they're worth something, and there's still going to be people who are in that part of the market who want them still, I guess. It makes sense, because you're right, because there's going to be people who, if you're around those cars, you're going to be around those cars, and you'll probably get a affinity for those cars by and large. Right. So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, because... Maybe like twenty years from now to see like where the car marketplace is. It's gonna be fascinating. But anyway, so that's why I wouldn't be investing my lottery winnings into fancy cars. I would just buy cars that I actually like. You know. But at, if you're talking about two hundred and twenty million dollars, though, Ike, how many yeah. more years do you think you're gonna live? Um, well, I think I'm gonna live for the rest of time until the universe goes through heat death, and then I will be the only thing left floating in the. Uh, you know, vacuum of, uh, you know, not only space, but time and all that. But um, my doctor says that might be a little bit ambitious. So let's go with a general average of maybe I'm 31 now and I feel it. So probably another 50 years, maybe 60 okay. if I'm lucky. I did do, I did the calculation for 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you want to split your 220 million up over the course of 50 years, it works out to be $4.3 million a year, mm -hmm. which even to me is still kind of a large number and I to break it down into months and it worked out. I'll just do it right now. I didn't end up doing the actual math, <laughs> but it, even that number to me is hard to quantify. So I had been recently dividing it in my head by 12 and that works out to be 360 grand a month. Ooh, so that's three hundred sixty grand a month. So that's and like I could live on that at my current spending rate. I could live on that for like seven to ten years. 
Yeah, that is. I would get seven to ten years worth of the money I spend now in one month, and then it starts to become like, okay, that is a lot of money. But again, four point three million a year. That's. Mm, do you, do you know I've what that breaks seen... down to by the hour? I just calculated this out. <laughs> how, how does it break down by the hour? It's five. You'd be you'd spend five hundred bucks an hour on average. That's crazy. So that would... five hundred dollars an hour. Could hmm. I buy? I guess I could go to Best Buy and spend five hundred dollars an hour. But then eventually, I'd have everything. Mm-hmm. That's eight dollars like, and thirty three cents every minute. Oh, that's, see, that's not quantifiable for me because I would make when I worked when I did pizza delivery. There were some times that I would make forty bucks in the space of like thirty minutes. Well, that's still like only a dollar an hour. It's eight times that much money. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can kind of see. All right. All mm-hmm. right, that makes sense. And it's every hour, not just work hours. Correct. How many work hours does that work out to? Well, At 120 hours a month, I can do that one. Yeah. Divided by 120. It's 120, right? 40, 80. Oh no, it's 160. Yeah, 160. Divided by 160. That's the equivalent of making $2,281 an hour. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that, that is insane. When I made, at the height of my pizza delivery, I made like $20 an hour. Yeah. So it's a, it's a thousand times, a hundred times that. A hundred times what I made. That is crazy. Yeah. I, but you couldn't... I, I don't know. You That $4.3 million a year, and then you have to think about you know, you would blow a lot of that, I think, up front. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would give myself in the first year, like, $30 million. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, I feel like on the back end of your 50 years, you're going to be spending a lot less because you'll already have your house. You'll already have your cars. You'll already have clothing. or And that's the other thing. I asked my fiance, I'm like, well, what do you want to buy? She's like, well, clothes. And I want to go on vacation. <laughs> But she doesn't have, like, massive purchases she wants to make, whereas I'm in the back of my mind being like, I could blow $4 million a year on cars easy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Easy. easy I could do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, like, granted, the three big supercars all came out in one year. So assuming you bought all three of those in one year, you wouldn't have to buy them again for another 10. And then it starts to – it's like – Eventually, you run out of money to spend on things because you already have things. Mm-hmm. And there's not really any reason to continue to buy more of them because it's what we like to talk about in economics, um, declining rate of return. Yeah. So, you know, and an easy example of that would be in my senior year uh, economics class, which is really what set me on the course to economics, which I then realized I didn't have the math skills to do. Um, I love economics. It's great, but I'm not going to sit through two more years of calculus. I'm just not going to fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I offer, if my, my teacher would come up to one kid in class and be like, would you like a donut? And you're thinking like you're what, 16, 17, 18 year old kid. You're like, shit, yeah, I want a donut. Yeah. And so it, the, the caveat was you had to eat it like right then. Or if you were getting into a big enough thing, it's like, well, how are you going to get them home? So the first donut, you're like, shit, yeah, and you eat it, and you slam the donut. You're like, that was pretty fucking good. Like, how do you feel right now? Like, I feel 10. I feel like a 10. I feel like a 10 out of 10. I just had a donut. It's good. He's like, great, have another. And you have another one, and like, you know what? It's before lunch. It's like second period. It's like 10 o'clock. Didn't really eat breakfast. I'm still a 10. That second donut, 
pretty fucking good. Alright, we'll have another. By the third donut, you don't really want the donut as much. Yeah. So, maybe after eating the third donut, I'm feeling like an eight. And then he's like, okay, well, here, have another one. Like, like I guess I'll have another donut. I, you know, this one's a different flavor. I guess I'll have it. Fine. And then after that one, I'm feeling like a six. And then, like, after six-ish, you start to just not want donuts. And then his whole thing was, he was like, okay, but because you agreed to do this with me, you actually have to carry this donut around. And another, and another, and another. And I had to carry eight donuts around. Or that was the upshot of it. So, yeah. like, it got to the point where I didn't want donuts. I didn't want to have anything to do with donuts, but now I had eight donuts that I had to carry with me for the rest of the day. I, I didn't actually, it was the kid, but the, the point still stands. That he had to carry eight donuts around with him for the rest of the day. And suddenly, do you know how he felt about donuts by the end of the day? Hated them. He felt a one about donuts. He hated donuts. They were awful. And he ended up throwing away halfway through the class. But if, or halfway, yeah, halfway through the class, he said, screw this and threw them away. But, you know, your declining rate of return is that it would kick a lot of ass if I could buy a lot Ferrari or yeah. a McLaren P1. It would kick a lot of ass if I could buy all three. So I buy three of all three of those. That's like six million dollars right off the top. I buy like an old Aston Martin. That's like another couple of million. And I buy a BMW M5. And I buy a Bentley. And I buy a Porsche Turbo S Hybrid that's got like 700 horsepower. Like yeah, I buy that. And I buy an SUV. And I buy a pickup. And like by the time I'm down to SUV and pickup, it's like I already have eight other cars that I have to care for. Yeah. And, like, granted, the rate of depreciation on the cars is pretty high if they're not, like, rare, advanced supercars. Mm -hmm. But they're still assets. They still do have value. And when I go to buy a new one, I'm going to get something in return for the asset that I'm trading back in. Yeah. So it would be really easy to blow 20 to $30 million in the first year, like that, mm -hmm. instant. And you would still have $200 million left over, and you could do whatever you want. And then, so that's why I think you would front load the money a little bit yeah. so that your first year you could buy a house and I don't know about there here I was looking in Sacramento two million dollars buys you a pretty fucking kick ass house oh, yeah. and it was like you start to look in like the five to six million dollar range and you've got all these got all these kind of lost you there big bounce and all that like that's just preposterous I like that and ostentatious. Like, I don't want that. If you're a normal, um, if you're a normal person and you win the lottery, you're not going Kind of losing you, Ryan. I don't know exactly. Like, Hold on. Lost it there for just a second. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, unless you're totally vain, I think people with a normal sensibility aren't going to want that. So. Yeah. They're not going to want the big ostentatious like... thing. Just, just. Cause we we missed yeah. it. Yeah, I I agree with so, that. Yeah. Also, we came down to. Yeah. yeah. What's up? I was gonna say. Also, you you don't want a house where like, turns out you've had squatters living in the easternmost wing for the last eight years, and you had no idea. Like you know, you've been secretly I've housing. Been over there recently. Yeah. Mm hmm. So it's um. No, a very to to that point. So, um, my great uncle in Italy owns a big beer distribution um, 
mask business. And part of the thing they Why do is he not sponsoring us. That is a good question. I should get on that. Um, <laughs> but he, well, bit of a language gap there because he speaks very little English and I speak almost no Italian. But we, we were walking around and like the, what they do is they have. He also had a Ferrari. Uh, what is? It? I was young when I saw this. I was like twelve last time I saw him. It what uh, was? Testarossa. Is that the one with the weird boxer engine in the back? What's like the weird nineties one? That oh, was, the uh, the five twelve BB. Yeah, yeah. He had yeah. one of those like sitting on cinder blocks because it wasn't working. Like wheels <laughs> off, sitting on cinder blocks. He's like, yeah, it's a piece of crap. I'm like, isn't that expensive? Because I didn't know anything about cars back then. I'm like, isn't that expensive? Like, is He's crap, he's crap. Um, but, like, so in Italy, like, you buy your kids, when they get married, you buy them a house, and you put it on your land, and you kind of, like, slowly everything, because he's my uh, great, or he's my grandfather's brother, so, you know, Italy, Catholic, after the war, baby boomers, like, eight kids, and then their eight kids started having kids, right. so everyone started getting houses, and so we're walking through and like it's gotten to this point where the city blocks kind of merged into just one giant building. And he's taking us on a tour with his little like Russian, like Eastern European housemate. And he's like, I don't know where we're at right now. And he asked her and goes like, where, where are we at? And she's like, oh, we're in your um, like second nephew's like uh, house right now. Like, you know, not your direct kid, but, like, one kid removed. He's like, wait, why did I buy him? Why did I let him build a house here and, like, build it together? It's like, I'm going to have to kick his ass out. Like, what the hell's going on? Like, I don't know. Who else have you have I given houses to that I don't know? Like, or, like, land and property to that I don't know about. So it was quite funny. And that's kind of what I'm fearful of. Like, you, because we all have friends and loved ones and all those people who, if you won the lottery, you'd want to invite them over and be like, hey, here you go. Here's a you know, place to stay and, you know, or, you know, just come on over anytime. But if you just buy something so outrageously big that you have no idea what's going on, you could just have a friend just living in your house and never know about it, which kind of cool, kind of like creepy. So that was my long winded way of getting to that. Yeah. I, I was taking a second for my end of the connection to stabilize because it records your voice just fine, I'm guessing, but my end was dropping in and out, so I was just being quiet as to not screw with the decent audio. Mm. Um, I've, I've isolated the cause of it. I think I've kind of fixed it, but... Mm. Tapped, so... Continues to go. Um, yeah, I... The whole buying stuff for people, I, I looked into that as well, and I, I do want to finish the car point, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second as well. You know, there's limits. You can't just get people stuff because then they eat you alive in taxes again. Yeah, which is crazy. So, anyway, my my first car question is: this car, you are out to where I was satisfied. House, what's up? I'll say you were breaking up just a bit there. You're good now. Uh, I dropped off. All right. So I worked it out to where I was okay having a house with three garage spaces and storing the rest of my cars inside. Because mm -hmm. to think about, you know, maybe I would hire a full-time mechanic or somebody to go deliver back and forth. Maybe 
you know, I'd have, I'd pay somebody to go clean the cars, maybe I'd pay somebody to come do the oil changes at my shop or whatever. And eventually, it's like, I don't want the shop to be a house. I want to get away from all of that. Like, or even if I'm working on the car or I'm trying to build something cool because I have money now and I can build whatever car I want, I don't want that to be at my house, I guess. Um, I don't want to park an RV or a boat or a race car at my house. So I was okay with having like an offsite area with like 15 bays that was secure. And then if switch sports cars in the middle of the week, I'll just go switch them. But I'm okay having one sports car at home, a sedan, maybe a truck, and then maybe a sports car for my fiance. Yeah. I have my driveway. Um, but I found that give stuff the best way to do it would be to give them um, $1 per month rental of your item. Because if you were to give somebody an object, any gift over $14,000, they then have to, either you or they have to end up paying tax on, which isn't really enough to like hook your family up with dope baller cars, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. If you win the lottery, you're not going to go around showering your friends with like used Priuses and things of that nature. So you'd end up having to, and again, probably your immediate family, you'd hook them up. You'd rent to your immediate family member like a big Lexus sedan or, you know, nothing nothing that they're so scared to drive because it's nice, but still something that's nicer than what they currently drive. You're not going to give your family member a Maybach to drive around because they're not going to want to drive it. And yeah. that kind of leads me to my first question which is what do you buy because like let's your family's going to come to town I think that's fair to say you'll have your family over a lot more often if you have the big nice house right oh yeah of course yeah okay now are you going to this is where I start to get a little pompousy about it are you going to make your family slum it and just get a rental car from the airport <laughs> where it's you're going to get a Nissan Altima or similar which are almost always beat to hell and crappy cars anyway, or are you going to have a car for them to drive while they're here? Hmm. See, that's, that's a good question. See, like, my thought process would be if I were to win the lottery, yeah, they'd probably come over. I'd have a nice summer house back home, obviously, but while they're here, I would probably give them you know, something nice for the time. Like, I'd probably be like, probably a Volvo of some sort, probably a big sedan or station wagon or SUV. You know, like, here, and use see, it. With you, you, you would want to buy Volvos with your money, which makes it sense. And that's almost, I hadn't even thought of could do, and that actually makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's the correct answer to my question. <laughs> um, is considered that. That's almost the perfect car for this purpose. But it's like if you the network to come back, if you're getting the family member's car to use while they're here, what's the ideal car to get them? Because my family members know that I, if I were to just like, if my cousin was in town and I tossed him the keys to my McLaren SLR, which is the big Mercedes one that I have always wanted to have, or I toss him the keys to my 911 GT3 RS or I toss him the keys to my LaFerrari, he's not going to enjoy driving it because he's going to know that I'll be furious when he wrecks it. 
or scratches it or anything. And like, I, I wouldn't be that mad, but he's going to, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's something that they know I've always wanted, which they do because I'm me. Like, I don't know. My uncle's really into watches. I don't want to wear his watch. He like wants me to try him on. Like, oh, try this watch on. It's cool. I'm like, I don't want to try on your Rolex, dude. If I drop it, I'm going to scratch it. You're going to be pissed. I don't want to <laughs> touch it. I don't want to have anything to do with that. They're cool. I think it's neat. I want one. But I'm not going to touch your fucking watch. Mm. Like, I feel like people may have the same thinking about any car that I would give them that's, like, just from my kind of personal collection. Yeah. So I couldn't just give them a car I already had. If they're in town, they're not going to want to drive around my two least valuable vehicles, which would be, like, a pickup and like an SUV or something, something like a Suburban and like a Duramax pickup truck to tow my stuff because they don't make nice pickups. Like, why isn't Mercedes built a Unimog decent, like, daily driven equivalent to like a three-quarter ton pickup? Like, I'm sure people would buy that. Oh, yeah. Um, but, so I found myself asking, like, what car would you buy? And I came around to like, you know, would you get them a sedan? Maybe, but if I'm up at my winter house in Montana, that's not going to be very useful, or they're at least going to think it's not very useful because they don't know what they're doing. So, do you get them like, if you get them a sedan, do you get them an S class in a city they're not familiar with where it's snowy? And like, no, you don't get them to have an S class, and that's almost fancy, you know, but they'd feel awkward about it. Mm-hmm. Do you get them a Prius? No, you just won the lottery. Why, why are you making your family drive Priuses? So, you have to like kind of find this balance of like, You'd want something that they felt comfortable in, that was nice, that they felt comfortable driving, and was easy to drive in a city they weren't familiar with. And I kept coming back around to, like, mid-size crossovers, which was pissing me off. I think another good option would be, I, I mean, if you think about it, just keeping a car in reserve for, like, if you need something or if your family comes into town and you need them to drive something... A good option would be just an electric car because that way you're not worrying about it sitting around collecting fumes and all that stuff. And, you know, you got to do the maintenance and everything. You could, in theory, just take like a Tesla Model X, stick it in a corner of a garage or stick it outside. And you won't care about it getting rained in, in the elements. And if your family comes over, you can say, go take the Model X. You know, it's big enough to hold everyone and just drive it around or Model S or Model 3, you know, whatever. I think that's a good we're one. And uh, we're going to take a break oh, oh. here real quick, and we'll be uh, right back. Mm-hmm. You're not the boss of me, right? Okay, we'll take a break. <laughs> and we're back from Welcome the break. Welcome back. Yes, yeah, I a... fixed all of the network problems. I Yay. mean, thanks Hopefully. for the word from our sponsor. Uh... Oh, don't make me put the extra stuff in. You know how much editing that requires. <laughs> I could do like four keystrokes. That's ridiculous. <sighs> I have to do crap. Uh, merge, merge Danny in on a call right now, and then just have him do it. Probably, yeah. If he's even awake, though. <laughs> you, know, you know how these old people he was, are. He was thirty minutes ago. I don't know. You anyway. have the spy camera on him. <laughs> Daddy awake. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Yes. So. Yes. Anyway, so no, I think Tesla. You put it there. You. See, now, like, that's the thing. Do you buy, or not necessarily buy, but like you said, loan out cars to relatives for a dollar, you know, every month or every year or whatever? I don't know how this all works because it's one of those things where 
if you start being Mr. Kind and Mr. Generous and helping everyone out and like lending them cars or stuff, eventually everyone starts to hate you for some reason. I don't know why that is, but like they start resenting you for being so kind, which is a weird thing. You'd have to, you'd have to really make it very clear early on, I think, who you were willing to help and what for. And then I had also read another thing that talked about put part of your money in a trust yeah. and have really specific guidelines for how to access the money. So, like, if you're, if you're maintaining factory academic pro progress in your college, I'll pay for your tuition. Please send it here. My lawyer will decide if you're making satisfactory academic progress and how much money to give you. Uh, if anybody has that I know has is trying to buy a house I'll just stuff like if you have outstanding consumer debt I'll do a one time payoff yeah you don't get to just save it for whatever you want to use it and just have like a fund like that set up or wedding costs up to 20 grand or something like that so that your family can still access the money and then you don't end up with this like hatred of you from all your extended relatives that you don't really talk to anyway yeah. You end up with them being able to actually receive the goods from your luck. And I, I do think that part of the reason, like if I built a company and sold it and made a bunch of money, that's my money. I don't have to give that to you at all. Whereas if I come into this windfall randomly for no doing of my own, then is it really fair for me to hoard all of that to myself since I was just lucky? So I think the trust thing, you end up with like a nice middle ground on how to not piss everybody off and still make sure that all of your relatives get what they want. Yeah. Does that make sense? And you, you're still providing help to people, but you don't have to pick and choose like, oh, well, you bought her a house. Why did I only get a car or, you know, stuff like that? I feel like you'd have to worry about that kind of thing happening less if you had a trust set up. Yeah. Now, here's another interesting thing. So, um, the last time when it was like 1.5 billion and like whatever you get out of that, call it, you know, 700 million probably cash or maybe like 500 million cash. And yeah. we, we were talking about kind of diminishing returns. I think, I do think there's a point of diminishing returns when it comes to your enjoyment of that money. And like, you know, people need, to work they need to do something and um i think my wife knows what she wants to do when that happens and i kind of have a vague idea of like you know my wife would want to open up some sort of animal rescue because she likes all sorts of animals and we would have the money to just basically have like there's this crazy thing in england where it's like a zoo slash animal rescue slash adoption center where they just rescue all sorts of weird, crazy animals. It doesn't matter what it is. And, like, that's what she would want to do, and that's a good way to give back to the community and you're, you know, doing your hobby and you've got something to do to keep yourself from going insane. And right. another good example, when I was talking to one of my friends, was he's one of those crazy people who plays fantasy baseball, of all things. Like, which... Great. Yeah, it seems nutty to me, but when I asked him, it's no, direct yeah, time you put into it, which is fantastic. Whereas if you know about football in the season, you already won. Yeah. So I I don't know. That's that's just my take on that. Anyway, 
But his thought process was, with that amount of money, you could probably buy like a minor league baseball team, and instead of playing fantasy baseball, I'm talking like I'm not talking what is it? It's triple A's to top of the tier board, and then yeah. it's double A, single A. So probably like a single A ball team, like ownership. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And just having like play fantasy baseball for for real. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think you could get away with that. That'd be that would be interesting. I've never thought of it like that. That would yeah. be cool. I'd have to look into that for sure. Yeah. Um, I think my fiance talked about still wanting to go to school since we're in. She's we're both in college right now. She said she wanted to finish school. I said I absolutely wouldn't, um, because I would try to make, or maybe I even would go to school and I would do like accounting classes and stuff like that, because I would think that trying to manage the money would become a full time job of its own. Yeah, and if I don't know how to do that, then I'm having to pay somebody else to do it, then I'm losing money. I'd almost rather just do it myself anyway. So, <laughs> but then you got to take those I'm two just... years of calculus. So. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Maybe I'll just go to, like financial planning school, where it's like, <laughs> oh, you have stats, great, yeah. or something like that. Anyway, on the jet front, what if you I, ideally, I'm assuming you haven't looked up costs like I have because I'm crazy and I was unemployed. Um, have you? Do you know how much a jet costs, or even an airplane? Um, depends on the size. I I would think. Okay, so like, like for example, like your typical like business jet, like a Learjet. What do you think that costs? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm gonna guess fifteen million dollars. Yeah, they're in the realm of like twenty-five to thirty. Ooh, wow! For a new one, and like used, the price comes way down. Much like a car, if you want to buy a used one, the price comes down. But it's they're so expensive, and then you have to crew it, and you have to pay for fuel, and you have to pay for insurance, and all this other crap. And I found really quickly that you're not just going to be able to buy like whatever baller ass jet. Like you, there, you could no way you're affording a Gulfstream, yeah. Unless you want it to be poor, like and poor is relative at that point. But unless you wanted to live off of 500 grand a year and have a Gulfstream, you're not. It's not going to happen. Like yeah. there's not enough money involved and to make that happen so i was looking into some jet ownership alternatives and you would think like i'll just charter jets i'll just do private flights but if you charter them they're freaking expensive how expensive do you think it is to go from my hometown to where i went to school in montana which is a thousand miles how much do you think it would cost to charter a jet Mm, i'm gonna say how many miles is that it's a thousand miles and a plane ticket. We could even go from Sacramento. I know a plane ticket there and back works out to be like three hundred and seventy dollars, something like that. So you said it's. So if a, you want a private jet, how much do you think that costs? So you said it's a thousand like miles. So I'm gonna go Ish. with um a hundred bucks a mile. So I think that works out to be about ten grand. It, it's about seven or eight grand. Yeah. Mm. Which is again a lot more than I thought it would be. But then you think about it, it costs that flight probably costs a thousand dollars first class. Yeah. If you fill it with eight people, it becomes the same as first class flight. And depending on where you go, after you buy the third or fourth seat on a first class plane, you're coming out ahead anyway, and it's much faster. Yeah. So if you were gonna do a lot of traveling, they have this thing called fractional jet ownership. And there's a Berkshire Hathaway company called NetJets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You 
Spy? Are you familiar with that? I had just learned about this the other day. Uh, I've heard, I've actually heard the owner talk about NetJet on like some sort of weird radio show. And he was talking really? about, this was years ago now, and he was talking about how he wanted to be like, because Uber wasn't even really a thing when that was coming around. Like when he was right. talking about it, he was saying like, well, it's like a timeshare, but for jets. So like y'all kind of get in and like, you know, because the pilot and the fuel are the most expensive part. So it's basically like, I wouldn't say it's Uber for jets, but it's kind of like, it is kind of like a timeshare where you kind of share one pilot and one crew and one jet between like, you know, a certain amount of people kind of deal. Or right. Like, which that's cool, but isn't there also like a service that just runs out of California as well? There is, and that service, I'm not going to give any uh, credit to them because there was recently an issue where a journalist offered to, you know, as journalists do, like, for example, uh, when I was on Jeff Glucker's show, uh, the Hooniverse podcast, he talked about pretty much you just send applications to everybody asking to do free shit. That's just what happens. And then you spin it in such a way that you can write an article about it. Yeah. Um, part of whatever that one California company's thing was, if it's if we're thinking of the same company, and I'm not going to say their name, um, was you had to... When he flew on the plane, when he signed his waiver for like liability releases and stuff, they snuck in a paper that said if he didn't give a positive review, he'd have to pay full price for his flight. <laughs> yeah, no. So instead of it being like a journalist capitalizing on like a free thing offered, which is already really hazy, they were pretty much telling him he, they were pretty much buying advertising from him as opposed to offering him a free thing in exchange for an unbiased opinion about it, which, yeah. full disclosure, I never published my Toyota Corolla article because I wasn't satisfied and I didn't think that it was going to be in my best interests going forward to publish a smear piece about the company that actually likes me <laughs> uh, about their vehicle. So yeah. I, I didn't publish that, but that's not the same as if Toyota had called me after the fact, after I'd already posted it and been like, hey, by the way, um, we agreed that you would say nice things, and now you owe us a thousand bucks for renting a brand new Corolla for the weekend, or for the week, or however long it was. Yeah. So, pretty much they did that with that California company, and I, I don't want to talk about them as a result of it, but mm -hmm. whatever. NetJets, they've changed it now. They have such a big subscriber base mm -hmm. that you pick the jet you want to subscribe to, and you may never even ride on that jet ever. But instead, because you've bought fractional ownership of it, you're a part of their dispatch service. Okay. And it works out if you wanted to do... I, I had to extrapolate a lot because I only found very little pricing information. I didn't want to bug them and ask. I, I should have. But <laughs> if you buy like a middling jet, it worked out to be like... And you're buying a fraction of it and you wanted 200 hours worth of flight and the way it worked out the fees and stuff it came out to be about 400 grand a year and it was a three year commitment and you got 200 hours a year of flights and it was on one of the faster planes so the flights would go a little bit shorter And it, but that didn't count the dispatch time that didn't count the time you didn't have to pay them to come to where you are like they, they don't have a hub in my hometown but if they had a hub in San Francisco, they're not charging me for bringing the plane from San Francisco to my hometown. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So there's no dispatch fee, but it is expensive for 200 hours of flight. That works out to be pretty expensive. But it's fully catered, and, you know, if it's a long enough flight, they'll give you a flight attendant, which I thought would be weird, because, at, like, the most seats they have are, like, 14 seats. And, yeah. again, I'm thinking I would, I would be bringing my friends and my family. That's just going to be awkward. I don't need someone to wait on me for 14 people. <laughs> Like, yeah. 14 people are capable of going into the fridge and raiding it and then using the microwave if they need to and then sit back down. Yeah. You don't need a flight attendant. Like, that just seems a little... And I read into it more, and it was like, well, federal standard, if, it, if there's more than 10 passengers, there has to be a flight attendant to help with exiting the aircraft in case of an emergency, which I understand that, but, like, do you just tell them, like, you can sit in your little flight attendant chair and don't bother us? Like, that all sounds douchey. Yeah. But... Like, do you invite them to hang out with you? And then does she think that you're just trying to be this benevolent, nice person to look nice? Like, it would just be awkward as hell. Mm -hmm. But if you, they have like six or seven different jet types. And if you buy into the middle one and you figure half the time you'll get a slower jet because you don't need to go very far and half the time you'll get a longer range one, it worked out to be about 400 grand a year. But that's for like pretty much unlimited jet service wherever the hell you want it. Mm -hmm. Anytime, that... anywhere, unless it was a holiday, they could do it with four hours' notice. They could pick you up, which oh, I wow. thought was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, that that would definitely be something to look into when you hit, because like the big thing here, like the wife is like, well, if we're going back and forth from Maryland to Chicago, if we win the lottery, um, and then we're going on all these little vacations, how are we going to bring the pets along? Which again is, and you can bring pets on those. I yeah. Yeah, well, it, you just drive up through the gate. There's no security. There's no nothing. You can bring on a, you know, 32-pack of terrible beer and all your pets and just get on the plane and go. You know, that's kind of the benefit right. of it. So, I mean, it's worth it, I think, if you're looking into it. I like how we're giving advice to people. I mean, it's not legal advice. You know, don't definitely don't take our word for all this stuff. But uh, right, yeah. good ideas of what to do when you win. But, yeah. well, I think I already won. Yeah. I'll, I'm just going to go check on those tickets, but, you know. <laughs> they were doing a buy-in at my new job, and I didn't get in on it because I didn't have any cash on me. And now I'm worried that they won. So oh. that'll be that'll be really annoying. Mm -hmm. I hope that somebody is nice. But the, uh, the thing about the job that I'm in, as soon as any of those people win the lottery, they won't have to work there anymore. So they'll I will suddenly be the person with the most seniority. <laughs> So, you know, I guess it's going to come with its benefits. I've worked there a day, and I'll already be at the top of the food chain, so that yeah. would be nice. Oh, that would be nice, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> so, the, I don't know, what, so what cars, so you're going to have three cars at your house, so, um, I don't know, what's the first car? See, this is the thing, too, because I used to know what car I wanted to get. And it's kind of changed since. So, like, when I hit the lottery, um, I think car number one I would get would be uh, a the nicest Volvo XC90 um, for <laughs> for the wife. That would just be that would okay, be for the wife. that okay. would be okay. just go straight to the Volvo dealership. Say, give me that car. I, this is the nicest one. Find me the nicest one on the East Coast. You know, and bring it here, and that's now the car for the wife because that's you know it's big, it's safe, it can kind of drive itself, and I can pick it up today. Um, and I think, like, I would 
while I was there, it'd be like, oh, and find me a V60 Polestar and bring that to the house because I really want one of those, which I think is crazy when people are like, well, you want $220 million. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to go get some cool Volvos. But I, right. do, I do think, because I used to say, well, I'd get a Lamborghini Aventador, but then I've met some people who own Aventadors, and they're all douchebags. I mean that in the nicest way possible. Like, which, you're an asshole. You're re- it's great, but you're an asshole. Well, I, it's not even that. It's like you go to the Cars and Coffee event, and you they act, they're the Mustang owners of the supercars. They, they rev everything. They're showboating, which I get. And that's the purpose of having a Lamborghini is Lamborghini is you go, hey, look at me. This is a Lamborghini, right. like room, right. room, whatever. So I get that's their personality, and that's a wonderful way to be a douchebag. And I approve of that methodology of being a douchebag because I'd rather look at that than look at a Mustang. But mm, I don't want to be that. So I was really thinking about it, and Doug DeMiro, of all people, kind of um, put it in my mind with one of his recent videos. I think I would get a Ferrari GTC for uh, Luso, the little Ferrari FF replacement, the hatchback Ferrari, because I think I would have a fleet of, like, really crappy cars and just, like, that Ferrari and a couple of, like, really high-end station wagons and sedans. Like, I would probably pace Jonathan Ward to put a, uh, to make a Dodge Challenger shooting break, like a Hellcat break. Like, just make that for me and do whatever the hell it is you do to cars, Jonathan Ward. I trust you completely. So, yeah. per Jonathan Ward, what I heard while what I heard him to- tell me while I was there, yeah, um, they have such a waiting list. He gets to pick the projects he wants, and I promise you, a modern Challenger Hellcat will not get picked up. You'll have oh, wow. to find somebody else to do it. Oh wow! <laughs> well, well, I think if I went to him and went, how long's your waiting list? All right, now. I want you to do something crazy for me, and you can do it however you want, but the end result has to be this. Oh, and I'm willing to pay well above and beyond what you want for this car. So, On, on the podcast, I did not go into numbers on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have enough money oh, wow. to buy your way to the top of that list. Oh, that's crazy. Mm. <laughs> I mean... Within the realm of you get $220 million for the rest of your life, you don't have enough money to pay to be at the top of that. Oh, wow. And that's good like, for him. It's good like for him. He, and he, it's like he's not rich, rich, I don't think either, but he's doing a lot of charity stuff, and I understand that his garage staff are paid exceptionally well. Yeah. Well, I think you'd and have to. A, and it takes yeah. him a long-ass time to do all those projects. So that's it's, true. He, the one car, which I think he's since released a video about or at least talked about um the one car that he didn't touch that wasn't he's way into the art deco and the 30s and 40s and 50s sort of design he had like a 90s impala that was in there that he had over a sheet i didn't talk about it then because it was still hadn't been talked about or released yet i think i saw a video with it in it the other day so i don't feel bad disclosing this since the first car that he's done that hasn't been from kind of what he wants because he liked the story behind the guy, and it was his father was a, owned it or was a policeman or something like that. And it's they just wanted a car that said, "Get the hell out of the way." He said it was pain in the ass working with all the plastic, and that he actually hated. It. Whereas he enjoys 
design, and he said he doesn't find a lot of good design in modern cars, and because of that, he doesn't do a whole bunch of them. Mm. So, there no. was somebody who had a um, Aston Martin like concept car from the 60s that wanted that to get done and when I left there he had a DB7 sitting out back donor car wow. that hadn't been wrecked. They had a DB7 that they were going to hack into to build this concept car from the 60s. That's crazy. And I think that's still not done and like that was cool and that's the kind of thing he's looking at. So you're shooting break Hellcat, you'll have to go talk to somebody else. I'll that's, have to go find some hack and do it. doesn't sound like the kind of thing that he's going to take. <sighs> Damn it. Oh well. But no, I would, that's what I'm saying, like, I would do all sorts of, like, right. crazy, unique stuff, because, right. you know, not the stuff, I, I would do stuff that car people got, and I, I don't know, I don't think I would, and maybe this is a sign of age, because I'm noticing a lot of older car enthusiasts kind of age out of the supercars, like, somehow. So I'm curious, as a younger car enthusiast, like, what would be the first couple of vehicles you would go out and get? First thing, and this brings me to my final point that I really felt I had. First, dealer, and bang for me a car without being in down. Hold on, you are it's breaking really up months. to high hell. Hold on. Hold on. I'm on. I think that's on my end because I see the little clickety clack going pretty bad. Okay, that should be at least on my. All right. Yeah. So, are we good now? Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay. Cool. So, the it takes three months from the lottery. If you go into the office, and in the state of California, you have to go. One to me is in Sacramento, which is like two and a half hour drive. Mm -hmm. I would go to Sacramento start the paperwork to get my money and then I would drive to the Porsche dealer in Sacramento who would tell me to get fucked and then I would drive to the Porsche dealer in Wall to get fucked and I would drive to the Porsche dealer in San Francisco and I would spend all day calling driving begging them to let me order a Porsche <laughs> because on their upper end models you can't just buy them usually customer ordered and they don't have enough production to give them out to dealers. So I would beg them to let me order that cool-ass Porsche Panamera OS hybrid with the 690-whatever horsepower. I want yeah. one of those really badly, and I would miss the first production slot if I had to wait three months mm -hmm. to get my yeah, one, that... and then hope that... Mm, wagon Panamera. Mm. What? Now, that one, they don't, they don't do the hybrid super-duper one in a wagon. They do it in the <gasps> executive, but not the wagon. Shame on them. Yeah. But no, I would, st I would still do the executive one. That's probably the first car I would buy. The second car I would buy would probably be, like, a Focus RS or something I could easily obtain. No problem at all. And after that, you just start flipping through the DuPont registry <laughs> and look for cars that I wanted when I was a kid. Like, I grew up in the time of the... McLaren SLR, the Ferrari Enzo, the Carrera GT, the, um, you know, the Lexus LFA was really at the end of me being kind of like an adolescent, 
in high school, the LFA, the um, Mercy Lago SV, which I still think looks so much better than the Aventador, but the SV one looked even cooler because it got rid of that ugly front that the first and second generation he kind of Mercy Lagos and Gallardos had. It had like an actual air scoop, aggressive looking, cool front end. Yeah. I try to find one of those, and God knows how much those all cost now, because they were rare enough, I think, that they probably held their value. But I would start just picking through stuff like that, hmm. that looked cool when I was in high school and in, and a middle schooler. And then, you know, my fiance would probably get her, like, an NSX, like a modern one, for her little sports car. And then... My family has always had Chevy pickups. I would buy a GMC 3500 diesel to tow my car trailer. Mm. And maybe a van. I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. It, it's. I like Chevy vans, too. I, I like the old full-frame Chevy vans. Mm. Mm. Crazy my parents people. drove those for work. Yeah. Because I think they still the Express is still body-on-frame, right? No idea, to be honest. Um, no, I think it does. Well, my parents drove those for work all the time, so they always told me they were wretched, and I had my dad drive a Transit once, and he was like, oh, my God, this is great. Yeah, I actually learned to drive on a Ford body-on-frame van that my parents owned. Ah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, not fun. Um, definitely not a driver's car, but there's a certain... No. There's a certain presence that thing has on the road that is kind of addicting like i can understand that it, you know what it is is it's kind of like being the weird kid in high school like mm-hmm. people don't necessarily respect you but they kind of fear you because you're in this giant van that may or may not have power or may or may not just break down at any moment so it's kind of like <laughs> just don't be around it like that that's just like just treat it nice and get away from it as fast as possible. So, right. Yeah. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'd also try to obtain a Chevy SS. Yes. Because I like, it and I hope they don't. Mm-hmm. And a Cadillac like, CTSV wagon. Yeah. It's the same thing with like the G8. Like nobody bought one, so they didn't depreciate. And now all these people that wanted to buy one that when they depreciated won't buy one. Exactly. They're too expensive. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. So. Well. Ryan, I I know we got some more stuff we would like to talk about, but we're kind of over time, and I got to get some editing done. Yeah. So, um, where can people find your crap? (laughs) You can find me tweeting increasingly about my new job, probably, and to my fiance, and sometimes about cars, at Ryanator122 on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I also encourage you to join to see more of my witticisms because it's less public. Uh, the IMSA fans Facebook page. Hmm. That's a good one. And um, you also run the uh, Untitled Car Show Instagram, but yes. Not, yeah. And now that I have a job and everything is sorted, <laughs> I will start doing that. Absolutely. I just need to get the app on my iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would begrudge you for not putting anything up but 99% of the time I'm like oh right Instagram's a thing that's what the kids are doing these days so uh, we really need an untitled car show Snapchat is that a thing what's yes what's, what's, oh yes what's are, hmm. are the kids not over that aren't they onto something else no 
no, mm. Snapchat's still very much a thing, and it's still not really commercial yet. Mm. Like, the commercialism hasn't, like, taken it completely over, so it's still cool. Oh, okay. It's like, all of these companies, they they build these social platforms, and, like, everybody flocks to it, and it's cool, and as soon as the company tries to monetize it, everybody leaves. Yeah, well, that's what happened. MySpace monetized, left. Facebook mm-hmm. monetized, left. Twitter monetized, left. So it's... Snapchat, they're getting there. I don't think they're there completely, but they're starting to get there, and somebody else is going to have to come up with a new way to trick investors into giving them money to run a social media site for three years that will then stop getting traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is Vine still a thing? Vine's not a thing anymore, right? No, Vine died. Yeah. They killed Vine. Mm-hmm. Poor Vine. All right, All right well... Bummer. Yeah... Well, my ass is getting sore in this seat because I brought out the wrong seat because I'm a dumbass. So, um, Ryan, thank you, thank you so much for coming on, joining me this evening, talking about cars, Anytime. talking about all that. Yeah, our current events podcast, apparently, like uh, the lottery and the eclipse. What's next? Are we going to be talking about the Kardashians? No, we will not be talking about the Kardashians. I will not speak on the Kardashians on this podcast. And in fact, this is the last time I will use their... Ah, no, they are current events, though. They're current events that mattered because OJ got out. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't they lawyers? What what, what do you got against lawyers? We've had Steve Leto on the show. Come on. I'm curious what percentage of people who... Percentage of people wonder, who they wonder why OJ is so famous. How is OJ connected to the Kardashians? How does that work? How, what? Like, I bet they have no idea. Mm. I bet there's teenage girls who don't have a clue. Yeah, this is true. Also, what are they doing in Deep Space Nine? Come on, it's so crazy. Just me? Every time? <laughs> Gal Ducat? Anything? No, no one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a nerd. It's fine. I blame my brother. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. Well, we're getting breakup, and I'm not sure what it is. I think it's my damn computer is fucking up again. So, um, Ryan, if you can, yeah, something's going on here. So, uh, any last words before I click the stop button here, Ryan? Make sure to have your pets spayed or neutered. Mm-hmm. And make sure you follow the show at Untitled Car Show. Uh, follow Ryan West at Ryan Eight One Two Two, and you know follow us on all sorts of social media platforms. Just search for Untitled Car Show. Um, whatever a Snapchat is, maybe we'll get one of those. Um, so have a good night. Have a good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is there. Thank you so much for listening. Please be safe out there. Uh,